Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. On this episode, we're going to be talking about a progressive mental disease, Alzheimer's, which is, by most accounts, the most common cause of premature senility. There are some hopeful signs of progress to finding a cure amidst some recent dashed hopes. We'll be talking to Alan Patrikoff, who lost his wife to Alzheimer's, and he will talk about the experience. Alan is a Wall Street investor and founder of one of the world's largest private equity firms. Joining him is Eleonora Ternatora of Caring Kind, New York's leading experts on Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. Clearly with an aging population in America and in the West, there are increasing numbers of cases. Unfortunately, absolutely, that is that is true. I think for the first couple of years, I actually uh, had no idea of what I was headed for. I had certainly no idea of how long this would go on or, or the fact that it was going to keep going on. I, I didn't see it as a terminal disease. And I think for most people, it is it becomes a terminal disease. Before we get to my interview with Wall Street's Alan Patrikoff, who lost his wife to Alzheimer's and who will describe the long and challenging experience, as well as his dedicated care and love. And Alan is joined by Caring Kind's Eleonora Ternatora. I want to share another update on a recent segment of our weekly Future Shock 2.0 with Ira Wolf. We had big reaction to his piece here on the startling and record number of unfilled city jobs throughout America, from the courts to the first responders. Now, Ira brings us another aspect of why some of our jobs, at least in the military services, remain unfilled. Here's Ira Wolf. Thanks, John. Yeah, and I'll, I'll throw one more number in there on a, on a bigger perspective. Less than one quarter of young American adults are physically fit to enroll in the military. One out of five, because the army is really, really struggling with hiring people. So there's these shortages and go, well, why can't you get people to work? Uh, this was young Americans are not physically fit to do the job and they have no disqualifying criminal record. So if you take, if you add that back in there, why is there a shortage? It's a mess and it's troubling and it needs to be addressed and it continues to get swept under the rug. We'll come back to it again. That was Ira Wolf, who, as many of you already know, is a workforce trends expert and host of the top-rated Geeks, Geezers and Googleization podcast, which, by the way, did a special live stream this past week with the team of the Odeon Capital Conversations podcast. It featured Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstyne of Odeon Capital Group, along with Jason Cochran, and yours truly here. We talked about jobs, money, and markets, and you can hear a replay on Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. And you can also listen to Audient Capital Conversations up there on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. 
my guests are Alan Patrikoff, an American investor and an early pioneer of the venture capital and private equity industries. Alan is here with Eleonora Ternatora of Caring Kind, New York's leading expert on Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. Alan will share his own personal story about his late wife, Susan, who passed away after suffering from Alzheimer's. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. We're going to talk about Alzheimer's and we're going to talk about the progress that has been made in this field in terms of getting a cure. We're going to talk about Caring Kind, your organization. We're going to talk about Alan's own personal situation, his wife's long decline. And uh, we're going to talk about a fundraiser that's coming up. So let's start with you, uh, Eleonora, and tell us a little bit more about Alzheimer's. It's a progressive uh, mental disease. The decline can be long and quite lonely and very difficult. So, so what do we know about it? And give us a sense of where we are at today in the world. Sure. So it's a progressive fatal brain disease that causes dementia symptoms, including memory loss, unexpected behaviors, problems with decision-making and wandering. Dementia is sort of the large umbrella and Alzheimer's is the one that's most commonly known, but there are other forms of, of memory issues, Lewy body dementia, um, and, and you mentioned some Parkinsonian sort of types of dementia earlier, um, vascular dementia that is occurs after a stroke. Um, and so, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, it's not just uh, genes. We also know that some severe uh, brain injuries um, uh, repeated brain injuries uh, can also cause uh, memory loss and a form of dementia as well. So unfortunately, the risks are are grand. So what are the numbers in America? It's a large number in our population have this. Yes. So um, uh, there are lots of organizations, uh, but we're, we're up to over 6 million Americans. But that number does not include the undiagnosed. That includes the diagnosed. And so I will tell you that I know for a fact, even people that we work with, families that we work with through our helpline and assessments, uh, they actually have not had a formal diagnosis. And so that number is, I think, way too low. Um, uh, and we, so we have to do a better job uh, with early diagnosis. It uh, skews heavily on the older population. So it's associated with aging in some cases. Yeah, so it is a progressive brain disease and age is the largest risk factor. But many of our clients that I deal with, um, I unfortunately just have a client uh, that is in his early 50s um, and, um, you know, probably falls in the category does or doesn't fall in the category of brain injury. Um, but his um, his mom had Alzheimer's disease at 70. Um, and so um, it's uh, it age is not always um, associated. So we do see many, many individuals that are on the early onset, uh, which is, I think, is just it, it's it's traumatic at any age. Yeah. Um, you know, because it you know, unlike many diseases, it steals it it steals your your memories of of your life um, and of of all the people that were in your life. Um, but I will say that. Um, the early onset is is heartbreaking when you're dealing with you know chill, the person who's young, and they still have you know young children. You know, it's not it's not just uh, memory that uh, declines. That that's correct. The, 
uh, that's only one of the elements that other senses go. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Communication and language, ability to focus and pay attention, reasoning and judgment, visual perception, all of those things. Absolutely. Alan dealt with it firsthand. And these are all things that decline um, over time. Clearly, with an aging population in America and in the West, there are increasing numbers of cases. Unfortunately, absolutely, that is that is true. And I think what what you're seeing is that um, organizations like us that work with the best hospitals around the country are doing a better job making sure that physicians are equipped not only to provide support but promote early diagnosis. So I think that that's probably that it, it, the numbers increasing have to do with you know more early detection. Alan, we're going to get to your story in a moment, but just one more thing on that. Are there different degrees of intensity with Alzheimer's? I mean, are there mild cases, very severe cases? I know we recognize that it progresses, but uh, can it progress to just an unbearable state? So I've been in this field, uh, both in the healthcare space, um, healthcare system space, as an administrator, uh, healthcare administrator to nonprofit and raising, you know, funds and awareness for Alzheimer's. And I can tell you in 25 years um, that I've been doing this, I have yet to see one case that's exactly the same. Mm. So that's what's really, you know, um, difficult. And I'm sure Alan can share as he, you know, um, has talked to several other caregivers it, you can share stories and the power of storytelling is incredibly important, but um, it's very, you know, the, this disease is unique to every individual. Well, Caring Kind is very busy in New York City. You have a few fundraisers coming up. We'll talk about that in a moment. Alan, I want to bring you in here. Tell us your own personal story because your wife, your late wife, Susan, uh, suffered with Alzheimer's and you and others were caregivers and it was a particularly difficult period. Uh, could you give us uh, your insights on it? Well, I think to fully understand it, she was diagnosed in 2009 and she passed away in 2021. So you can see that uh, this takes a, this, uh, this progression of the disease is slow moving, but inexorably uh, takes away various of functions, uh, whether it's walking or eating or toileting or dressing, or as you kept emphasizing memory, uh, there, each one of these functions takes away a bit of your life. And, uh, as I said, over 12 years, uh, these declined one at a time for my wife, the last two or three years, she couldn't speak really, uh, intelligibly. So, uh, that was the last thing that went, but it's uh, fortunately there are people around to help you as caregivers and support. And of course, caring kind is a leading factor in New York. And uh, the fact that they uh, give support to the uh, families, uh, they give support to the caregivers themselves. They train caregivers. They have uh, services going on that to service the actual patient themselves in the group settings. Uh, I participated in a support group for several years, uh, which is meeting with a a social worker and uh, a a changing group of uh, like 
minded participants who were going through this, whether they were brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, cousins, uh, daughter-in-laws, everyone had a different uh, reason for being there. And uh, the group kept changing as people passed away and new people joined. So mm-hmm. it was a, a moving uh, a moving group. Uh, and uh, it was very helpful to be able to talk to other people who were going through uh, similar issues. What was your reaction when you first discovered your wife had Alzheimer's? Because you've had and still have a busy career on Wall Street. Well, first of all, they, the diagnosis was uh, aphasia. Uh, and aphasia is a, it, it doesn't sound quite as, as uh, bad as uh, Alzheimer's. And we really avoided the word Alzheimer's for a very long time. But I think for the first couple of years, I actually uh, had no idea of what I was headed for. I had certainly no idea of how long this would go on or, or the fact that it was going to keep going on. I, I didn't see it as a terminal disease. And I think for most people, it is it becomes a terminal disease, whether it's three years in some cases, six in others, 12 in others. I have a friend who had uh, this go on with his wife for 17 years. So uh it saps away gradually uh, all the functions that make life worth living. And uh, it's a uh, difficult experience for anyone to go through. And uh, uh, I think it tests uh, relationships and uh, uh, people's dedication. And obviously, at some point, you come to a decision point to you uh, because of inability either financially or physically to deal with the issues because the, as Eleanor said, they come sometimes people who are suffering certain aspects of the disease can get violent. They also leave the house if you don't have yourself protected. Uh, uh, I did not have uh, the violence or those kind of issues, but mine was all the other issues that I mentioned. You know, it's, uh, I started saying people either can try as long as they can to have someone with the disease live at home, which I did till the very end. But you need to have, it's very difficult to do it all on your own. You need uh, caregivers to, for support uh, because it's really a 24 hour day uh, process of being concerned. And uh, other people just can't handle it at home and therefore have to uh, put their loved one in a, in a location where they're comfortable and can be well cared for in another setting. It turned your life around. And um, how did your life actually change? And how did you view things? Prior to the diagnosis, things were obviously much different and you led a different kind of life and you went from, from that life, perhaps socially active, both of you, to a life where you were taking care of your wife and as were caregivers. Well, it, it's interesting that you asked that because I uh, did something that was a little bit unusual in that I tried as long as humanly possible to keep my wife involved, social activities, and mm. out, both inside and outside the home. Uh, even at one point, uh, taking her, I don't remember what year it was, to a dinner party at after the dinner, she uh, usually uh, she would sit next to me. I made sure that this particular case she didn't. And I remember the 
gentleman who had been sitting next to her coming up to me afterwards and saying, I had the most wonderful conversation, your wife. And I knew it was almost impossible to have it. She was talking at that time, but certainly could not carry on a conversation. But it tells you that uh, men can become self-centered. Uh, they hear themselves talk. But I, <laughs> I, would, I, would take, I would take her to, to uh, picnics or cocktail parties, mostly when it was outside in the summer, mm. uh, uh, where she could sit and uh, be part of the community because I really wanted other people to realize that, you know, even though someone had Alzheimer's, they they hadn't disappeared from the face of the earth. Yeah. And, uh, so I, you know, I I try to keep her as involved and part of life uh, as long as I could. And you know, ultimately, that became too difficult to uh, bring her into into other social settings. But I had her out in the park, and I had her doing things, and uh, for a very long time, I remember we actually had a a 50th wedding anniversary and, uh, when we were in East Hampton and uh, people drove by the house where we were both sitting in front in our home in East Hampton and they would drive by and honk the horn uh, as a way of, uh, you know, keeping her spirits up. You know, whether she knew what was happening, we'll mm -hmm. never know. But Alan, I can guarantee you that kept her going a lot longer because of the level of activity. Cause we know that, right. We know if you keep the stimulation, um, you know, high, they, they do stay cognitively more intuned. So I think that that's wonderful. Yeah, it is wonderful to hear that. And so that tells me, Alan, that you had a close loving relationship with your wife. You were married uh, 50 years also. Exactly. <laughs> but we also, uh, had, uh, I would have music playing that was familiar with her for her. We had, photos uh on photo displays uh turning you know i don't know what you call it, not flashing but you know changing <laughs> mm. all, all the time we had you know, family visited visits family dinners even though she would sit silently i try to keep her uh as much as humanly possible in this world uh but who knows? Yeah, who knows? I mean, that's a good point to raise because we really don't know what goes inside the mind of somebody with dementia and Alzheimer's. There might be more activity in there and more they can recognize than we can possibly imagine. Well, we we don't know, uh, but I can tell you that people with Alzheimer's and, de uh, and dementia do often tell you um, they, they sort of know what's, you know, when they have this moment of lucidity, I used to say it's like a light bulb flickering on and off. And um, there are moments where they'll actually, you know, take your hand and say, you know, I'm losing my mind. So there are moments where they do know. That's why at, by Alan keeping her engaged like that, you know, whether you were guided to do that or not, Alan, I think that was the exact right thing to do uh, because it certainly keeps people more, um, you know, at, at a much higher level, you know, cognitively. So, Alan, then uh, ultimately, I assume that arrangement you had socially was not possible at some point when it progressed and things became maybe more difficult? As I say, I, I can remember, I, I recall this celebration of a 50th anniversary. Now, that wasn't one-on-one -on -one interaction, but it was people coming by and knowing and seeing her in a wheelchair at that time. Yeah. Uh, that she was still alive. I was determined, uh, I got it in my own head, 
uh, no one else told me about is to let my grandchildren, let my children, let our friends know that people are lepers who have who have uh, Alzheimer's and that we, uh, you know, should continue to realize we don't know what's happening in their brain and to do everything we can to uh, continue to make them part of the world. And uh, I have to be honest, we'll never know whether that was the right decision. Maybe I, you know, maybe prolong, prolonged a, a difficult situation. Uh, I, 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 you know, that's the way I did it. You know, other, everyone else, may, other people may have different, different choices. To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen. By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. My guests are Alan Patrikoff, an American investor and an early pioneer of the venture capital and private equity industries. Alan is here with Eleonora Ternatora of Caring Kind, New York's leading expert on Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. Alan will share his own personal story about his late wife, Susan, who passed away after suffering from Alzheimer's. You can reach Caring Kind at 646-744-2900. That's 646-744-2900. And you can call this number for more information about the Caring Kind Alzheimer's Walk on Sunday, October 23rd in Central Park, honoring Susan Patrikoff. And the website for Caring Kind is caringkindnyc.org that's caringkindnyc.org i'm your host john aiden byrne where was home through this period when you were taking care of your wife it was in in manhattan but the last two years were were during COVID. she fortunately uh did not know about what was happening in the political world and she didn't know about COVID. she was not (laughs) she might have been better off Exactly. You know, it's driving us all crazy, masking and so on. Were there any moments, and you, you alluded to it, and so did Eleonora there, that flickers of recognition and um, light bulb went off where your wife knew and felt your presence and could somehow communicate her feelings to you? Honestly, no. From no. My, no. Really? Throughout that period, you never felt that? So... Your wife then passed away, and um, that was clearly um, a difficult time also. But you look back on that whole period. Is there anything you might have done differently on reflection? I don't think I did anything wrong. I think I did everything right. Uh, oh, I'm sure you did, and I, I didn't mean it in that sense. Oh, no, but, no, no. You know, you're, all exactly. the knowledge you gained, I suppose. I'm, that's, I'm no, I thought, oh, sorry, maybe I, I thought you were saying, do I look back and think I should have done anything different? Is that, that's not what your question is? Any things you might have done differently? No, I, I, that's my point. I don't think, I don't think there's anything. I, uh, I did learn early on that uh, I lost confidence in drugs. Mm. Uh, I, and I continue that way till now. I, yes. I don't see anything 
really making a difference. She did the, she took the tradition, I don't want to get into the names of right. drugs, but she took the traditional drugs that everybody gets. And I, uh, I don't think they were necessary placebos, but I don't think they really had any impact on her, uh, the, the decline in her. Well, well let's just talk about uh, any of the advances in there, Eleanor and Alan. You know, what can you share with us? What do we know? How far away is a cure? Because we keep reading these stories of trials and some not going so well. There seems to be some glimmer of hope all the time that we Susan, will find a cure. Susan was part of one trial for sure with Baxter Labs, which uh, went through phase three and uh, and then uh, didn't make it. And another one that was a micro, uh, I don't know where the words where you have put something on the head for getting micro uh, shocks. It's not shock therapy, but it's, uh, you, know, you know what I'm thinking like of? Im imaging. So, I, yeah, I was just at the uh, San Diego, uh, one of the lar largest um, international research conferences. And um, certainly we work with a lot of the different drug companies. We're, I'm with Alan. We're not going to go into names. Um, but being that I've been in this field for over 25 years, unfortunately, there hasn't been any progress in uh, over a decade. Um, now, I'm sure there, you know, there are lots of things in the news in the last, you know, year, uh, some that, you know, again, with some, you know, great controversy, but I would say, um, I think there is some promise, uh, in, in, in some, some of the things that are in the pipeline. Um, and we'll learn a little bit more. There's a, a deeper sort of conference in, um, in Boston in November. And I think we'll learn, you know, part of, uh, some of these drug trials that are going to come out sometime next year, um, that that we're hopefully you know optimistic, but it has not been uh, you know unfortunately it has not been promising in the last decade. I think it's a, the concern to me is that a lot of things will uh, be announced and people will get excited. It's, uh, you know I, I will mention one because that was the one that created enormous excitement: the Biogen uh, drug, which uh, even after it was approved by FDA. Uh, people found it was so had such little impact that, uh, and it was so expensive that I don't even know if it, it may be off the market. But very, very, very few people took it, and hundreds of hundreds of millions of dollars were spent on that. There is really nothing that I know of uh, that I see happening. So, so nothing on that medical front, but we do know certain things that we just were not aware of a generation ago about. Um, lifestyle and healthy living and um, other research which yes. can help you know improve this whole environment so just a, just a program that um, we've started actually with, with with some of the pharma companies some of the largest pharma companies a program called map which actually um, the the one of the big issues that there hasn't been any breakthrough is that the lack of diversity in clinical trials. And so Caring Kind uh, is going into, we're into this about 18 months now, uh, working with uh, pharmas and uh, mentors and individuals with the disease in really trying to provide the level of support, but also um, speak to them about clinical trials and educate them about clinical trials and really focusing on um, diversity as well, because that that is really, um, you know, 
unfortunately lacking in that space, in that health space. Uh, we need um, diversity in order to actually get to a cure or treatment. Um, and so, but to answer your question in terms of risk factors, absolutely. Um, you know, we know that if we can manage things like high blood pressure and lack of exercise, um, there's a possibility of being able to help reduce your risk factors. But I have talked to a number of clients who have, and I'm sure Susan, knowing Alan, Susan was one of them where exercise and healthy living was a part of her lifestyle. And yet a Alzheimer's or dementia or any form of dementia um, still was developed and, uh, and, and aggressively developed. So, um, but we, but again, the science tells us, and we are really moving, um, you know, the education forward to try to get that information to people that, you know, you can still lower your risks. Just before we came on the air, we spoke about injuries, concussion. Can you take us through that? So we know that there's a strong link between head injury and uh, and the future risk of cognitive decline. Dementia, especially with when trauma occurs repeatedly and that it involves, it involves loss of consciousness. And so again, you know, um, our, it's a matter of semantics, whether it's, Lewy body, uh, brain injury, um, Alzheimer's, uh, frontal temporal lobe. Um, it, it, it really, the symptoms, you know, do mask themselves about, they, 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 are, they are the same for many, um, some more severe than others. Um, and so, um, so again, um, you know, protecting your brain is, you know, I would say, you know, what's good for your heart is good for your brain. Protecting your brain is incredibly important, particularly, obviously, with sports. Tell us more about Caring Kind. You're based in New York City. So, you know, just maybe give us the numbers of Alzheimer cases in New York, the ones we know and what's the estimated, a little bit of history and what's going on. So for about almost 40 years ago, we were the we were known as the Alzheimer's Association. And, um, and, and we were the one of the very first um, to actually be developed in the country. Uh, about six years ago, um, we um, there was a sort of a rebranding across the country. Research and advocacy and programs are incredibly important. We wanted to focus on taking care of the caregiver and developing programs for people with the disease. So Caring Kind sort of was um, uh, rebranded to really make, we're an organization uh, that provides social work services. And Alan said, uh, as well, groups for individuals with people with the disease. Um, so we have um, evidence-based, we actually brought a very first evidence-based program to uh, New York City about, uh, about 12 months ago called Cognitive Simulation Therapy, run by an occupational therapist here at Caring Kind. And this particular, it's very much like, you know, therapy, uh, OT or PT. Um, and we run six sessions, 12 sessions, 18 sessions. And this is for people with the disease. I hope our work will then develop to make insurance insurance providers pick up this work. So we're, there's an advocacy piece to our work as well. Um, there's over 200,000 uh, people with Alzheimer's that we know of, but again, I would imagine that- In, in the New York City area. Right. Uh, but I would imagine that that number is 400,000 yeah. uh, because there's, again, so many that are you know with stigma undiagnosed. But again, we do support groups, as Alan mentioned. Uh, we do programs like Connect to Culture, uh, Care Consultations, Helpline, um, just to name a few. And of course, two events. Uh, Alan has um, graciously um, 
agreed to, uh, we were honoring our walk in his wife's honor and memory. Um, and this is our second year uh, in doing that. And our numbers are going up. And I've, I've shared this news with Alan, our registrations are going up. And so um, we know it's a, it's the one day at, in Central Park on October 23rd that you can look around and see a sea of orange and feel like I'm not alone. There are a lot of other people dealing with this as well. So we're just grateful for the family supports and, um, and, and, and really being able to continue our mission. I'll also throw it at age 88. I am planning to walk jog the New York City Marathon this year. Oh, very good. And we'll be doing it uh, and uh, using it as a fundraising mechanism to uh, contribute to Caring Kind. Also, I'm about to start that effort. I, I told you before before Alan joined, I have no idea how he does what he does every day. Yeah, you're energetic. You you are busy, but you've you've all these celebrities uh, supporting your Manhattan fundraisers. Doctor Mauricio Gonzalez, he's got over one million followers, social media followers, and yes. you have NFL star Leonard Marshall, television and movie star Richard Kind, and backed by popular demand, the Blue Angels drumline will lead the walkers to the start and celebrate walkers at the finish line. So it sounds like it's going to be so much fun. Give us the date. How do people register? How did they make a donation? And you can walk. You don't have to be. Alan oh. is obviously very fit. <laughs> but, <laughs> good for him. Maybe I'll join him. Give us the details. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's October 23rd at 10 a.m. in Central Park at the Bandshell. And you could you could just call our number. I know a lot of people don't call anymore, right? They just they text or they email. Um, but our number is six four six seven four four twenty nine hundred. Or you could just look us up, uh, caringkindnewyorkcity.org, um, and that's um, caringkindnyc.org. Um, we're happy to to again um, help any families. Uh, the the number that I just mentioned is also our helpline number. And so if there's any way um, that you want to be able to, you know, post that as well, um, we, again, are, it, you know, most of our help starts with the helpline uh, before we begin to work with uh, clients and families. And that is available free. All our services are free because of individuals like Alan, who will run the marathon or support a walk. So, or, you know, that's, that's, that's really beautiful. Let me throw something else in. I, I actually... I wasn't going to say anything, but I just realized that it's appropriate here. I've just written a new book called yes. called No Red Lights. But uh, not just that I wrote the book, but I just remembered I have a whole chapter in there. Uh, describes uh, Susan's uh, situation, yes. how I dealt with it. And uh, originally when I wrote the book, it's about my life and, and career. Uh, Your life and career on Wall Street, right, Alan? Yeah, and well, other politics and art, a lot of other things. But I, I wasn't going to include that. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, no, no, I'm glad you did, because you oh, did. I, I'm going to pick up the book. I cover Wall Street, and I'm interested in politics. But, but maybe we'll have a separate interview later about that. But, but I want to say my friend, a friend of mine who was a writer for Time Magazine said, you can't write about your life if you don't include this because it was a big part, you know, it took 12 years. So uh, it talks about, you know, how I 
how I dealt with it over that long period of time. But so it's relevant to people who have they're very relevant. And and I mentioned this, Alan, earlier, and I'm glad that you you did share that because part of our biggest issue, and I think why we don't have all of this advancement is uh we need to raise concern and awareness, right? Um in the in the HIV AIDS, you know, the Magic Johnson moment, we've never had a moment like that in the Alzheimer's space. And we need to have that moment uh in order for really break, you know, for breakthroughs. And so Alan taking the time to share his story. Hopefully other caregivers will do the same. And that's where you're going to see real progress. I want to come back to you really quickly then before we wrap this up, Alan. Any message to caregivers out there and families who have a loved one who has Alzheimer's? Any message of hope or any, what do you want to say to them? I'd say uh, be prepared for a very difficult journey. Uh, Give it all you can and more. Uh, and remember that, you know, try to remember the person you're dealing with, what they were, you know, what they once were like, and uh, don't judge them by what happens during this transitional process. And uh, hopefully, uh, uh, I'm not optimistic, I have to say, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I am going to be 88. So I was going to say in my lifetime, I, I just don't know how close we are to a, to a solution. So, uh, I think we just have to learn how to deal with it rather than uh, expect some miracle. And I would not be uh, falsely encouraged by people talking about always it's the same thing, uh, early onset. You will hear that all the time. People have got a solution for early onset. What that means if you had the slightest indication of something, you know, rush out to get this cure-all, you know. Early on, oh, it sounds like there are some snake oil salesmen out there, although there was millions spent on research. So one hopes that some of it is um, authentic. I, I Actually, I don't think uh, Eleanor may, may know better than I do. Uh, there isn't as much being spent and there's certainly a lot of money. Uh, in, in Alzheimer's, but not as much in a lot of other diseases. And uh, correct. hopefully there'll be a lot more spent and that may accelerate the whole process of finding a solution. Almost stop it at that because during COVID, as we saw, there was an intense research done and you mentioned AIDS research and so on in the past. So maybe we need that kind of uh, seminal moment, something to shift, move the dial. Maybe that will occur very soon. Right. I think that they're they're absolutely. I think they we said by 2025 that we would have significant increase um, from the national plan to address Alzheimer's disease, and um, I think we we definitely um, we're we're that that hasn't happened. That's why we 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 are, we are also part of advocacy efforts to make sure that we're advocating that that needs to happen. So, final word from Alan: uh, advocacy that the way to go as well. Do all you can to support research, support people like Caring Kind, uh, and uh, be kind to the people who have this disease. Kindness is the way to go. To both of you, take care. Good luck with the fundraiser in Manhattan. That's really exciting. And we'll catch up again. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. 
That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com. Burndesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.